All right. George Kilpatrick, Inspiration for the Nation, celebrating people we feel good about. Paula Johnson is a professor of law at Syracuse University, the co-founder and co-director of the Cold Case Justice Initiative. And uh, Paula, you just were appointed to something recently as part of the uh, Judicial Commission. Explain what that appointment is. Yes. Hi, George. Um, thank you for having me back on the show. These are always important discussions that we have. Um, yes, um, I've been uh, appointed to the Franklin H. Williams Judicial Commission. Um, that is a commission in uh, New York State uh, that has the um, uh, a mandate or you know a role to ensure that there is uh, racial and ethnic fairness um, throughout the court systems of New York. And that includes um, litigants, it includes attorneys, it includes those who work for the court, it includes members of the bench and the bar. Um, and so the goal is to make sure that there is uh, equitable, uh, fair treatment um, for all persons having any business um, with the, the court system in, um, uh, in New York. Um, and so I'm a commissioner and that work takes place um, statewide with programming, educational and informational, um, all mentoring, you know, various, uh, you know, pipeline programs, various types of endeavors along those lines. Well, um, certainly Professor Johnson, and thank you for letting me call you Paula, just so people know I'm not, um, you know, not giving the sister her honorific. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, thank you. I'm, I'm, but I'm so proud. I, I just want to say that I'm so proud of the work that you do uh, in ensuring the rights uh, that are, that we have fairness uh, in a variety of arenas, LGBTQ rights, civil rights. Uh, obviously, that work is very important. And we find ourselves, once again, uh, Professor Johnson, in uh, times such as this. Our conversation today is about the death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of five Memphis police officers who were part of the now disbanded Scorpion unit. Uh, the beating caught on tape, the full video finally released by authorities uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. And so what did we witness here? Um, this was a traffic stop. And, and I'll let you do the rest of the, the breakdown of this. But this was a traffic stop that ended in the death of yeah. yet another Black man. So... Um, well, George, I know that, yes. yes. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, not, let me not interrupt you, but um, so let me answer that question by saying um, uh, the two things. One is to discuss what we witnessed and to also discuss what we did not witness. Go ahead. And, and I think that both of those things are very important for us to understand what happened in this um, situation. And you know, George, you know, and I'm, you know, going to, you know, use the familiar too because, you know, we 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 have that kind of connection. Um, you know, but George, I, I want to say your work is so important to bringing information to our communities, um, locally, nationally, and I and I want to thank you for that. Um, so this opportunity is important for us to have this discussion. So here, with respect to Ty, um, uh, uh, Tyree Nichol Nichols. What we saw was, I think, the most 
abject experience of brutality, inhumanity and torture of a human being that one could ever expect to witness. One, one would never want to see something like that in their lifetimes, um, much less, of course, to have experienced it. And I, and I, and I, and I want to say from the outset too, um, with such a heavy heart to the family of Tyree Nichols, mm -hmm. how much uh, sorrow and condolences I send to them just on a very basic human level for them to have had this occur to their son, to their, he was the father of a child, um, so to their father, um, to a member of the community. Apparently he was highly um, you know, regarded in the skateboarding community, among other things. He was a photographer, so he was a creative person. Um, you know, he was somebody, you know, in our society, in our world, um, who meant something to many people. Uh, and now because his life was cut short by these officers, he means something to us in a very different respect. And we're going to have to, as a community and as a society, we're going to have to hold him up. And we're going to have to hold up his family and his community, because what happened to him should not have happened to any human being. And, 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 and to say that there was, you know, some basis, um, which has yet to be uh, established. I, I, I've, I've been looking for the substantiation um, of a reason for the traffic stop. I've yet to see it. But all of that aside, even if there were a reason for him to have been stopped, starting with that, what right? subsequently ensued from what we saw in this brutal, grotesque beating that these five officers meted out on his young slender body is something that is just ghastly, frankly. And then here is the part of what we did not see. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't see any humanity extended to this young man. We, right. we, we saw nothing. nothing. Um, and you know, I, I watched the videos, uh, you know, I, I watched, um, you know, the different installments of the videos. And each time I looked for some instance where somebody in that gang of officers would intervene and say, stop, right? Stop enough. We've made our point. We've brutalized him enough. No one extended. I saw no one extend anything. And, 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 and what makes it even more egregious to me and heartless, frankly, is that what we did see amongst those officers, now former officers, was that when they um, 
you know, errantly sprayed themselves with the pepper spray, you saw them react to each other immediately, right? They're, 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 they're pouring water over their eyes and faces so that the effects of the pepper spray, you know, don't have a lasting impact. I mean, these irritants, you know, are awful and they can harm people in lasting ways but certainly immediately they have a terrible impact. People can't breathe, they can't see. So they responded to their own needs immediately, but they didn't take a moment to see what they could do to help this helpless young man made helpless by their own actions. So those are the things that we were witnessing being depicted uh, in these videos. Yeah, and and sir, certainly those five officers were fired. Uh, the DA has brought murder charges. We yeah. also uh, found that there were other law enforcement that was ne that was nearby uh, that did nothing. You know, after I mean, first of all, the brutality of of what we witnessed on that video, the standing him up and then slap, you know, yeah. punching him and kicking him, and then leaving him in the car without any being attended to as you as you uh, so aptly pointed out uh and then i guess so there's now a couple of sheriffs that have been uh, sheriff's yes. deputies that have been um will be reprimanded or at least being looked at um, but this is the point too george i mean to that um when uh the 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 uh, uh EMTs when the ambulance finally yes, came that's the other piece. they did not act immediately exactly. i mean th this is beyond imagination you know, now let's just put the officers to the side for the moment. But once medical personnel arrived on the scene, it's unfathomable that they would not have taken immediate action because they had to have seen the condition that he was in. What could have accounted for the fact that they did not take any action to immediately meet his medical needs. So all of these people who were on the scene bear some responsibility. And I would say all of that responsibility is criminal responsibility. There will be something that will happen in the criminal courts. It should happen in the civil courts as well. They all bear some responsibility and should be held accountable either for what they did in a positive, active way, but also for what they did not do in a passive um, or failure um, to act um, um, way when they had the obligation um, to make sure that one, they didn't brutalize him as they did, and two, that upon having seen that, having done that, that they rendered absolutely no aid to him. Um, Professor Paula Johnson is joining us, Syracuse University College of Law, talking about uh, the brutal beating of Tyree Nichols and its impact that's resonating. Protests all across this country, protests across uh, uh, many different communities in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, et, et cetera. Um, I remember when the when this first came out and the five officers uh, and let's now name that they were all black officers, right? Um, somebody posted on Twitter the faces of white supremacy. These mm -hmm. fight five black officers. 
And that confused a lot of people, but I'm sure it's not confusing to you because what, and so would you help people who are confused by that, mm. um, what that signifying? Because, uh, and, and, and this is, this is uh, someone else wrote something about, so, um, so let me start with that. Why, yeah. why those officers are the faces of white supremacy? Mm. So the connection that is being made by posting that image and 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 that ideology um, is to make the point that it isn't about the race of the officers; it is about the race of the victim. So that Tyree, as a black man, who is seen to be automatically, almost inherently, you know, criminal just because of who he is in this black body is something that is part of the racial hierarchy within a system of justice that devalues black and brown bodies. And that doesn't matter so much as to who's doing the brutalization in terms of the race, racial background of the officers, it's the systemic nature of the way in which policing is done within this society. And that says that black and brown people, men and women will be considered to be unworthy, un not innocent and not deserving of any of the types of protections that this system is supposed to be built on. So the institutionalized nature of racism takes place no matter who the participants are. And that's the point that's being made. Yeah, I mean, and does it hurt, is it, more deeply felt because these officers are black or or do we say no they are as much victims of the system as you just described as if they weren't black hmm. well i'm going to put their victimhood aside for the moment because they made certain choices and among the choices oh, that they wait a, wait a minute did it sound like i was making them victims no 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 no, oh, okay. I, no, no, absolutely not. No, I, I, I'm just. I'm I would just, make I'm that just, clear. Oh no, yeah. No, no, not attributing that thought to you. What I'm saying mm -hmm. is, um, it is conceivable that someone could say they too are victims of mm -hmm. a racialized mm -hmm. system, and so my 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 point is to you know you know put you know, you know, put them to the, to the, to, 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 to the side for the moment, because, um, because the determining, the, you know, determining factors again, have to do with how we regard, um, you know, black and brown people within, uh, within the system. And so um, it's very clear that someone in uh, Tyree Nichols um, position is viewed as uh, less than within an institutionalized and hierarchical, racially hierarchical um, 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 viewpoint. Now, so, so, your, so your question, 
um, to get back to that directly was, you know, is 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 there some um, say deeper, uh, you know, reaction or response to the fact that um, you know these five officers were black, um, and I would say, uh, you know, to speak, you know, you know, personally, um, you know, yes, you know, yes. Um, you know, and it's and, and and it's not to sentimentalize it, but just to say that for many people of color who go into law enforcement, um, they go in because they want there to be a responsiveness to the needs of communities of color. But if they act in such a way that isn't in any way, you know, you know, different from the existing structure, then they too will view black and brown bodies in in the same ways. They treated this man as though he were an inanimate object, not a human being at all. And so it's disappointing, I'll put it this way, it's extremely disappointing um, that they could see nothing of themselves in him mm. or people who looked like them um, in him. You know, whatever the purpose was, whether it was actual or whether it was pretextual for them to have stopped him in the first place, that their role and responsibility was to follow the legal procedures for bringing someone in. They should have explained to him why he was being stopped. None of those things happened. And so it is more egregious in that way to me because they had an opportunity to treat him with decency and respect even if the overarching system told them not to do that. Mm. And so, you know, their agency was exercised in such a way that also, um, you know, deprived, uh, you know, this, 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 this young man of his humanity based on all factors, based on race, you know, just based on his fundamental humanity. Professor Paula Johnson from the Syracuse University College of Law joining us. Um, also uh, joining the conversation is Elliot Boyce, a uh, Black law enforcement officer with the state police, retired uh, uh, state police officer. Um, the condemnation obviously has come from all over the country, including uh, those in law enforcement and including the Memphis chief of police. Uh, Elliot, uh, what, what's your uh, take on this? And the fact that these are black officers uh, that are named in this horrific crime. George, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, doctor, it was a pleasure listening to the commentary that you just provided. I would tell you, and I've always said it, I, you go back in a rows, uh, George, from the last time we spoke, I've said the most dangerous police officer is the unconscious black police officer. Mm -hmm. The one who co-signs to behavior that may be minor in the sense of laughing at an extra hit, um, laughing at an uh, off-colored comment um, instead of correction 
or basically staying neutral to it. So with that being said, in this particular case, um, I will be honest, I cannot and could not watch the whole video. Here's another case of, we've talked about this in the past too. There's a man, someone's son, someone's community uh, person who's now deceased over a vehicle in traffic stop where the most the police officer could do is issue a citation. Mm. It's not to the level of offering up, taking them to jail. So whatever went wrong there was out of the norm, out of the institutional guidelines of any police agency. The police chief, who is a solid sister, uh, those who may not know the background, she's a member of the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. She will be the national president moving forward in the years to come. So we're, we're talking about change the institutional process or problem that for whatever reason, these officers, regardless of cover, color, is just more dis disturbing that they are black. Mm -hmm. you know? At the end of the day, police officers are supposed to be police officers regardless of color and treat people with dignity. This clearly did not happen. So when you talk about police officers, we say it all the time. The good police officers, we want the bad ones get out. And these individuals are heading to jail where they should be. And here's the other piece that's come up, and I'd love the two of you to respond to this. Uh, in, the, in the other instance where uh, there was some um, case of uh, officer misconduct and the officer was Black, uh, I'm thinking about the case in Minnesota, which involved a white female. That that seemed to move very quickly, but it and what a lot of black folk are talking about uh, across this country is what Tyree Nichols' own parents said. He says, "I hope we now have a blueprint for the way this should work in this country because it didn't take months or weeks or uh, even years to prosecute this." What you know they. The charges were brought, they were fired immediately, the DA brought charges, and now the DOJ, the Department of Justice, is looking at this. What Black folk are saying is, this is very quick. And is it is it because, let, and again, not to, because uh, I think you were right, uh, Pastor, uh, I'm going to call you Pastor Johnson, uh, Professor Johnson, you were right to say that we don't want to assign any victimhood to these brothers because what they did, they should pay for and, for, and pay for mightily. At the same time, yeah. do we only see justice in law enforcement when the officers are black? Because you go ahead, press Professor Johnson. Yes, yeah, George. So I understand that point. I understand that point entirely. You know, I think we're capable of understanding um, that there are nuances and, and many dimensions, you know, to this issue. Um, and, 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 and I would say that this is the way in which institutional uh, racism works. And that is, you know, there will be uh, a, a, a one impact in terms of, of, of the treatment of, of, of Tyree um, um, Nichols, you know, and this is not to be, um, you know, sympathetic, you know, at all to these officers. Um, you know, but the way in which the racial hierarchy works is that, you know, when there is condemnation within that system, you know, they will be the first 
uh, you know, to come before it and to be, you know, you know, charged. Their their cases will be handled, you know, you know, more uh, 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 swiftly, you know, because of their race. I mean, this is the, you know, the irony or the paradox of the situation is that they would do the bidding under a racist system and they will fall victim and pray to that same system because of what they have done. And so the way in which it is, it, it, it is a reinforcing narrative as it relates to the racial dimensions of this. And so now they're gonna find themselves on you know, the end of this where they're going to be. Um, um, you know, the prey to a system in which, you know, other black and brown people are victimized. Yeah. I, I will, I will extend it a little further, George, just one step further. We talk about black males, police officers and females, because what I've seen is when it's a, a swift action to justice, it involves those two, you know, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, now, fortunately, unfortunately for years, African-Americans have been death against becoming police officers. So the industry has remained predominantly white males. Um, and as that change has begun, the, the change for as diversity within these agencies has become the white female. And what we've seen over the years is now of recent, a lot of black females, because they are qualified and have the ability and the education and skill set, are now leading a lot of the police agencies. Problem on them is the support that they should have from the black males in many police agencies. And you know what? We don't condone all black officers, but those who are black male officers in many of these agencies are not doing anything to support them. And the actions of these officers show no support or respect for their chief, who's a solid person. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about rush to, to send these males to jail, I've received the same phone calls. You know, is it the proper blueprint? Yeah. If, if it's that bad, if it was a regular normal citizen, yes, they should go to jail and no one's condoning that. But what we will say is in the institution and in law enforcement, in many cases, friends protect friends. Mm. When it comes to that, when you start talking about these other instances where white officers are involved, where someone is basically killed a man on national TV and someone could go out there and say, well, you know, he resisted. And then you give the backdrop that a counterfeit bill in most cases don't even get prosecuted. They get secured and turned over to the, you know, the federal agency in charge. So, you know, when we talk about this Russian judgment, should it be the blueprint? Yes. But it should be the blueprint for everybody. Right. But what I'm seeing is, I'm seeing people getting political ground off of this, and that's disturbing. Actually, okay. a better word, disgusting. Mm -hmm. You know, have individuals that are saying, you know, this is done properly. I'm appalled by the way this has been handled. Well, where was that letter last? You know, last year, mm -hmm. we put those statements in 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 support last year. Now, some people stood out on the ledge, but a lot of people stood on the tree trunk. So yeah. when we we talk about it. Should it be the blueprint for bad police officers? And I will tell you, I have a lot of officers, particularly white male officers, that I will go to war with every day. I have some black officers I wouldn't walk across the street with. So that's just a fact. If and there's bad, some black officers you would go to war with every day, too. Let's not make it all. Correct. I said some. Right. There, there are many black officers I definitely go to war with. There's some solid individuals. Right. But 
I think race jumps into it and we start to think because of the burning and the institution of policing has been dominated by white males that there's this thing against white males and agencies. Not true, because there's some very good white officers operating. But, and it's but Elliot, isn't, isn't the idea of having more officers of color in the agency to prevent the very thing that just happened to Tyree Nichols, right? I'm supposed to see you as having being human, and I'm supposed to treat you as such. This idea of uh, and and that Black Lives Matter. In other words, these officers discarded him as much as the system did. And I'm yeah. saying, isn't that what we've been fighting for as a community to make our law enforcement more reflective and representative? And then from that would mean a more humane treatment. Yes. Because unfortunately, is we have this thing that I call the moving on up. You know, many of the officers, if you do backgrounds on them or you, you really get into them, are not from the cities or areas in which they're patrolling. So mm -hmm. there's no connection to it. And if you grew up in the suburbs, if you grew up in, a, in an area in which you don't identify with being Black or you have no desire to, because once you get into the, into the system of law enforcement, it becomes Fox News instead of CNN, right? And if that's what your brain said, mindset is that you're not connected to those communities, you don't see the value in that young man. You know, you become disconnected. And then again, we, we also have to talk about the fact that police officers are dealing with a lot of things, you know, so the, the, their ability to disconnect from whatever they've managed over the years that's been untreated and untaken care of through the lack of resources within their agencies contributed to these factors also. And again, not giving them any excuse for their actions. But there are some degrees of trauma in which individuals are dealing with in law enforcement that needs to be taken care of and needs to, need to be funded. So the idea we need to get a bigger uh, squat car or a bigger ram vehicle and not want to provide counseling services to these officers are contributing factors also. So yeah. bottom line is we need just good police officers, regardless where they come from, but more black officers that are conscious and can relate to the community go a lot long, a lot further. So at the end of the day, we just want the best candidate. And if we get someone that's really reflective of the community, we take them first. But that's not what always happens. Talking to Elliot Boyce, so retired. I'd like to add to that um, also, uh, you know, to, 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 to this point, because, you know, I, I, I'd like to... Um, I like to steer away from the idea of um, <coughs> bad apples, um, as though that were the singular, you know, reason for you know why officers such as these um, would have acted in the way that they did, you know, what what whatever their race, um, including the fact that they were black officers, um, because we really have to look at the systemic nature of what we're talking about we have to we, we we have to look at you know what is the institution of policing in u.s society and 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 why we continue to get these outcomes it can't just be because of five officers or in the case of george floyd the four officers who were on the scene there you know or the freddie gray case where they you know put him um, you know, in the van and deliberately um, uh, 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 compounded his injuries. You know, th this isn't just about, you know, particular individuals. It's about a system in which it, 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 
in, instills in, in officers a sense that these sorts of things are approved and can be done and it's part of the training. Now, and so individuals will take advantage of that because they can do so largely with impunity. Now, if we were serious about making a difference and so that policing were to change in the United States, there would be accountability at every level up and down the chain. The, 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 the officer on the street up to the officers behind the desk would feel the responsibility for their lack of humane treatment for anyone with whom they came into contact. There would not be the kind of court sanctioned immunity from prosecution or immunity from civil suits to law enforcement if we were serious about changing the culture and the behavior of the institution of policing in the United States. We can't do this piecemeal. So now it's gonna be these five officers. And then the next thing will happen, it'll be the next you know, one, two, three, four, or five officers. What we need is to look at the system in a comprehensive way to say, what is it about policing in the United States that these kinds of things continue to happen? We have not passed the George Floyd Policing Act after right. the horrors of watching what happened to him. There was a flurry of activity. There are suggestions on the table there before Congress. There, many states have some similar provisions these things aren't being passed. What kind of policing would, would, would find that it is acceptable to hold a person in a chokehold? Why isn't it a simple matter of saying that that is not an acceptable practice? Right. You know, what kind of policing would say if you use the kind of excessive force that we saw in um, the murder of George Floyd and now the murder of, 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 of Tyree Nichols, that the officers involved and their departments will not have any immunity from lawsuits if they are found to have been responsible for those acts, that will carry such power and deterrent effect that officers and their superiors would think twice about committing those kinds of acts if they knew that they would be subject to these kinds of penalties. Now, even having said that, I have to say, it, you know, it's not clear to me just how effective it will be either because, right, one of the things that was called for, you know, uh, 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 were the body cameras. Right. These officers had body cameras on. Now, um, you know, there's, there, there, there's some discrepancy in terms of, you know, whether they were on all the time, you know, right. at what point they started. We didn't see anything about the initial stop. Now that's curious and we need to look into that. But even past that point, what we saw was the beating of Mr. Nichols 
And they seemed, you know, were quite unabashed about doing that even with body cameras on. So I'm not saying that it's a panacea, but I am saying that structural change is needed and we can't just look at individual um, members of law enforcement without looking at the whole picture in addition to the individual people. So but, before, you, before you answer that, Elliot, um, there's a question that came up uh, and then pull that question into what uh, um, uh, Professor Johnson just posed. And this is from Vicky saying, during the screening process, are black officers chosen for the likelihood that they will conform to the status quo or a belief within the ranks of law enforcement versus challenge that system. In other words, uh, if you feel like you can have an impact, and and if you then then you're you you're not likely to be chosen. So if you're going to conform to the status quo, which leads to situations, um, which potentially leads to situations like this, uh, would you be chosen? Uh, fold that into uh, your response to Professor Johnson. And by the way, we should be talking to our, our elected representatives about this the George Floyd uh, act that you talk about, Professor Johnson, because I'm not hearing much about that either. So thank you for reminding us that that's still not passed. Uh, Elliot. Yeah. The institution of policing, and, and you're talking about uh, immunity and, and police officers acting and changing, you know, it's a long-standing institution that requires change. I will tell you, in most agencies that I've impacted and have had had the ability to interact with, are putting change in and are trying to put levels or layers or things. Look, no police chief wants to wake up, go to bed on Sunday, wake up on Monday, and have that on their desk. It's just not something they want. So they, you know, because their job becomes a stake. But what's happening now in this institution? We talk about the question, you know, and having you know, uh, uh, solid black males or minorities coming onto the job and possibly getting uh, discarded. Now there's a layers that have been put in place to prevent that too. But again, when we have minor things that are weeding people out, that creates an impact as far as change. But also when people start thinking about how's that person getting weeded out or once they get in, why, why are they changing? It becomes a money thing. And, you know, we talk about money all the time and it, it should never be a money, money issue. But when people start having houses, cars, boats, children, child support, and their job is, is in the weeds if they go against the establishment, most people, or I should say the cowards, will not. And because they will not, that's how come the system keeps going on and on. In, in the same manner as it, it does. But I will tell you, I see, I, I know this for a fact. The New York State Police, um, though not perfect, uh, will not tolerate that whatsoever, you know, but then there's different layers. And the thing that people are not talking about, there's two other police officers that are out there. And I suspect, and it hasn't come out yet, that one, I know it was a task force because it was multiple agencies that were involved. And how the body camera works in some situations is when you become in a certain proximity of one other body camera, it clicks on. So I'm wondering, they didn't realize that that camera was on. So, or at some point they didn't realize, regardless, their actions were unjustified. The institution of policing for years has been broken and dysfunctional. I do believe each year, each incident, things change and try to get better. I just think the messaging of defunding the police has impacted us tremendously. 
uh, in the sense that us as black males do not trust the police system and don't trust as far as being part of it. Um, but we have to change that. We have to have solid individuals like Chief Frank Fowler to be, you know, reincarnated within police agencies. Chief Duvall from Syracuse reincarnated police agencies. People who have stood at the door, DeLacy Davis from around the country, you know, other national, Rochelle Bilal out of Philadelphia, Sheriff, other prominent, Chuck Wilson, prominent individuals that are willing to fight for the cause. But our community, each church, each church in Syracuse should raise up and present a police officer to be their, their, their stalwart within the agency. And when we start doing that, you create change because those that have grown up in the church, those that are presented from within the community will act in the best interest of the community and cannot be wavered because the one, they will be brought up that way. Two, they know they have the churches they're backing. And until we change the mindset that we do not want to be part of policing, which is, you know, pretty good income, pretty good way to create change. The institution, as you talk about, Dr. Johnson will always stay the same. And no matter how much we take away immunity from them, until we start raising up police officers and putting them into the, into the police agencies with the backing of the churches and the community leaders, we're going to have these problems. So I would like to say this also on, 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 on this point, and that is, let's be really clear that, you know, while we're, you know, talking about the aspects of, of you know, Black communities and, you know, officers who are Black and, um, you know, what particular, um, uh, you know, responses or reactions we have to that. Let, let's let, let's be very clear that we you know also must be focusing on the entire society. Now the reason why this can persist is because beyond the black community, where there is you know no sense of urgency um, uh, or 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 compunction um, to have something done about these circumstances is the reason why these things can go on, and so when the rest of the society says that this can no longer be tolerated, then we will see action, legislative action. We will see things happen differently in the courts. We will see things happen differently in the police departments. But to the extent that the larger society, which is a majority white society, uh, a, a population, says that you know this you know we cannot have these things done in our names either these are public agencies these are public servants these folks are supposed to act on behalf of the benefit of all of us and so while a disproportionate number of us are being victimized in this way unless and until everybody says this is not what we expect and will tolerate and will co-sign on with respect to policing in our society, these things are going to go on. So these demands for getting the George Floyd Act off of the desks, out of committees in Congress and get to the president's desk for a signature, that has to be something that everybody lobbies for or petitions their elected re, uh, uh, representatives to do. Um, in the House, in the Senate, to make sure that that sort of thing happens. Um, but as long as we are so um, 
stratified as a society racially and economically and in all the ways in which we are, when we don't see the humanity in each other beyond race and all of our uh, uh, characteristics, that is why this sort of thing can go on. Right. And, and, and we have to be honest. We talk about law enforcement. We talk about government, uh, political elected officials. You know, our communities need to take responsibility too. Because we're, Martin Luther King Day this year, we lose 11-year-old in the community on MLK Boulevard in Syracuse. You know, this black-on-black crime in which we're killing each other, and and, and I heard, I believe it was Minister Farrakhan on a a Zoom not too long ago, and and his commentary was, we're killing each other day-to-day, and there's no marching, there's no outcry, and matter of fact, there's no no urgency to give up the individuals that are committing these crimes, making it even harder on the police department and giving no excuses again, but making it easier for us to be desensitized towards things that incur in the communities. So with that being said, the communities are here. Policing, is there an issue? Yes. As far as the community also, look, we need to take accountability because we're killing each other at a disproportionate number. You know, we talk about chokeholds. I talk about Eric Garner. You know, I've, I've been involved in a lot of different conversation. Another nonviolent crime in which a man lost his life for due to a chokehold. So those, those things need to get better in the police department. Though we need our political officials to move legislation faster and forward, we have no room for bad legislation that is being put forth. But, but so, let me, with, but, but let me ask you this. Uh, thank you for that. This idea of the black on black crime. And I know that 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 uh, riles people up a lot when you put this and that together. So I I just got to to raise that. Uh, but I think the other thing is in terms of victims who happen to be black. And one thing that came up that I also want you to address is this idea of resistance, right? The, 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 the narrative is, well, he ran and he resisted, right? And then I go back to January 6th, 2021, when we saw what happened when those folks were all up in the Capitol and not one, well, a couple of people did lose their lives, but I'm just saying to you, there seems to be a different standard about who, what happens to you if you're in fear of your life, trying to run home and get home, as opposed to uh, when you're black and that happens. And so, um, the, Professor the, Johnson, this black, go ahead, uh, Elliot. It, look, the, the, the terminology of resisting, um, the terminology of failing to comply, have gone from, you know, actual real act to an excuse, an excuse to like, and I tell the community, I tell young adults, if it's a vehicle and traffic stop, take the ticket and live to fight another day. At the end of the day, you go pay a fine. But to get to the serious point, I believe your question is, has it become an excuse to lay hands on people unnecessarily or or in an excessive man, it has. Failure to comply. Look, cops and robbers have been something for years going back to Roadrunner. You, you do something, you chase them down, and then you put them in cuffs. That's what you get paid to do. You don't chase them down to put them in a body bag. And unfortunately, the mindset of uh, failing to comply has become, um, unfortunately, the end result is death. So I will tell young adults, and this is a message you need to hear really clear. If the police officer starts the conversation out and it's bad in the beginning, it's probably not going to get better. Don't allow it to escalate. 
if they are trying to put you in handcuffs and they're saying that you're resisting, do everything you do, can do to comply because your resisting is code word for basically being able to do whatever they want to do to you. Is it all police? We have to make it clear. No, but failing to comply is a, is, is the gateway to being able to lay hands on you. The and, question is, you don't know how they're going to lay hands on you. And, and, just, to, and just to get to the answer from the question from earlier, and Professor Johnson, you can respond to that, <laughs> uh, to what Elliot just said, this idea of how Black officers are chosen. Are they chosen to conform to the status quo of the beliefs within the, within the ranks of law enforcement versus challenging the system? Are they selected because they feel like they're going to be one of us? Well, so the short answer is 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 is, is yes, and it's also no. I think that on um, on some level, maybe a superficial level, um, you know, the, the 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 idea of you know diversity within the the ranks is to bring in you know multiple perspectives, you know, in into policing. Um, you know, people who are, you know, connected with, you know, the different communities, so they can bring a different, you know, you know, way of, of, of viewing um, and acting with respect to the communities. And I think that they're, you know, in, 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 in some settings, I think that that is genuinely um, something that is desired. But I think that there is something that is overriding and, and, and very difficult to combat. And that is um, the culture that is inculcated within um, uh, uh, the institution of policing that everyone you know, you know, must ascribe to if they are going to be effective in working and, 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 and uh, get promoted and do the sorts of things um, that are expected of them within that employment setting. So I think that it really, um, it does come down to at least two aspects of that. Wanting to get different people of different backgrounds in policing, but not necessarily wanting the culture of policing itself to change. Mm. And so that becomes a real you know, you know, the catch 22 for people who want to go into the system to change it when they are met with resistance within a system, um, you know, as a, 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 a trooper um, Elliot said, um, um, uh, 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 trooper boy said that um, this is a, a long standing institution. Um, and, you know, it is moving at a you know snail's pace to change it and so it's not that there isn't change the question is whether or not it's the kind of change that needs to happen and i'll say one other thing about that and that is you know by and large um the uh you know requirements um you know for employment as police officers you know doesn't you know you know it isn't very exacting in terms of um, you know, having to have advanced degrees or college or community college, you know, you know, a, a, a higher, um, you know, training um, and experience and educational background coming in to 
um, the police force. And the United States is fairly unique in that respect in not having those kinds of educational demands. Um, and so I know that, um, you know, Trooper Boyce talked about this a few moments ago in terms of the trauma, um, you know, different types of things that, you know, officers themselves might or might not be equipped to do. And so we really do have to have a better way of determining who gets onto these forces. What are their backgrounds? You know, do they have experience with different communities or not? If they don't, what is their training so that they are able to have a better understanding, a better way of interacting with people? If they're coming from backgrounds where they haven't had any um you know, informal or formal for that matter, you know, interaction with people from different communities, you know, other than their own, how do we expect them to communicate with people, right. you know, with all of the other images, um, you know, that we have about black folks and brown people, you know, you know, give us that sense um, of all of the stereotypes about us. What would disabuse an officer coming from a background where there isn't something that would counteract that from acting any differently. So we really have to understand that. And if I could say real quickly too, on this point about the running, you know, you know, there have been, um, you know, there have been cases looking at this very issue um, where the question of, you know, why someone might run, particularly, you know, black, you know, man uh, might run from police. And, um, you know, I, you know, I, you know, you know, practice and teach, you know, in, in, in this area. And, uh, you know, it has come to be recognized by some courts now that running in and of itself is not a basis to find that someone um, is guilty or even probable cause for finding of a basis for stopping someone. So you have to look at the entire circumstances as to why somebody might run from police. What's the history of the relationship with law enforcement in their community such that they might not want to be stopped in a particular place? As I understand it, Mr. Nichols was just thousands of feet away from his home. Less He's than calling. that. Yeah. I beg your pardon? <laughs> no, uh, less than that. Yes, less, right? So he's calling his mother, I think, out of a real, you know, you know, out of anguish and wanting her, but also hoping that she will hear what's going on with him out there on the street, that somebody will come, right? And so he's running to get to a place of safety. Imagine that. He's running to get to a place of safety from people who are supposed to keep us safe. He's got to run from the police because we see what happened to him. Now, the other thing is that I suppose, ironically enough, the Supreme Court case that tells us how we determine whether or not there's excessive force or not and what the limitations of that are comes out of Tennessee. It's a Memphis case, a case called Tennessee versus Garner, right? Where the police shoot this 15 year old who's accused of a house burglary, right? He's got a wallet. I think it had about $10 in it, right? He's climbing a fence. The officer shoots him in the back of the head. 
The Supreme Court says, if you don't have any reason to believe that someone who, and it's a young black man, young black youth, right? If you don't have a reason to believe that the officer's safety is in jeopardy or other members of the community are in, 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 in danger, you cannot use lethal force in that circumstance. And the officer in that situation testified that he was, he was sure that this young boy who was running, and I say young boy because he was 15 years old, climbing a fence. The officer said he had no reason to believe that he was armed, but he was shot in the back of the head, dead. That by definition was excessive force. And so here we are in Memphis again, looking at an example or an exercise of excessive force on a black body where it was absolutely unnecessary. Yeah, the, their actions would have been unnecessary regardless of color. It, yes. it, it, True. It's ridiculous. Uh, but just to get back to the piece about the recruitment process, mm -hmm. you gotta understand law enforcement is a paramilitary organization at all times. Because it's paramilitary, you know, it requires order. But what you said, Doc, is very, you know, you know Doc Johnson is very important. I think in order to get a better police, and not I think, I did 35 years in law enforcement. Life experience, and I started at 21. I wasn't ready at 21. I had to manage my way through till I got a little older, a little more mature, all right? But life experiences really have to be played, get more value than education. Now, I know a lot of educated people still live in the basement of their mama house, right? <laughs> or at a house, right? So life experience, Unfortunately, a lot of times how we turn to that for change and it continues on the same path is utilize the individuals that come out of the military, right? But now you come in with the military mindset of operating in, in, in that fashion and that doesn't always improve us. It gives you a structured, more life experienced individual. But when it comes to African-Americans and brown, black and brown people, what happens our life experiences that may have us caught up in something mining like back in the day, maybe a marijuana charge is amplified to the point where, you know, you don't get in. But that individual who may have had some, some improprieties is a person that's lived a little bit, have life experiences. So when they deal with someone on the streets, when they deal with someone in the community, they understand. So I think what the question or the person that asked the question was saying, those are the individuals that are just get, getting disqualified. And I concur 100%. There has to be some latitude. And I know within, you know, and, and because I know the state police well, I know um, there are those individuals, because I sat on these panels that may have had some questions and they go to review. And when they go to review, they sit down and discuss it and then they get in. Where maybe some 20 years ago was, you got this, you're done. But a better police agencies or a better police agencies require diversity. And though a lot of people don't like the curse word of diversity or they don't like the curse word of saying black or white in any conversation, until we could have real conversations about black and white openly in law enforcement, there's going to be a slow pace of change. And I have to give a shout out to a Syracuse individual. His name was Sergeant Chuck Jones, Zone Sergeant Jones. He was an individual where when something happened in the community or something happened nationally, we would sit in the squad room and we would talk about it. Black, white, whoever was there, lieutenant, captains, and we have conversations. People have an opportunity to express themselves, what they thought, how they felt, and it made us all better. Yeah. 
as opposed to sitting in the squad room reinforcing the status quo that exactly. it's not our community. That's those folks over there. And it's right. not happening here as opposed to that, because that's what you see a lot of. And by the way, there I, I've gotten word that there's a, an incident that happened right here in this community. I don't have the facts. I can't speak on it yet. But in the next few days, we may hear of an incident that happened right here in our community. That being said, I really appreciate what you said about uh, Chuck Jones and, and but a lot of, you know, I hope that that becomes more of a standard because instead of saying that's not us, we wouldn't be that way. We've got, you know what I mean? Instead no, it, of really it, opening up the conversation, go ahead. Even worse, George, what, what happens is everyone creates a side. And when you yeah. create a side, you start yeah. talking about things in a vacuum. Right. So that the black officers are having a conversation. The white officers are having a conversation. The female officers are having a conversation. Yes, yes, and yes. second one from one entity walks in the room, you 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 hush up. Well, yeah. if you could say to the other officers that I'm going to be working with, you should be able to say it in front of me, right? Yeah. So if that's not, if that line of communication doesn't open and doesn't remain open for open dialogue, and it's tough to have these conversations because people come from different backgrounds, different perspectives, but at the end of the day, your responsibility as a police officer is to serve with dignity, good character, and in the best interest of the community. Yeah. And, and safely. And, and it comes down to the leadership. And so you talked about that in the Tyree Nichols case. You've got the police chief who's saying, uh-uh, this is not what I'm, this is not the kind of department that I'm going to lead. And I'm going to move swiftly uh, to 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 make sure that that in, in this community that we will not stand for that. And that was swift. And right. we hope and, and we hope that that will be again, this is what Tyree Nichols' parents said, his father particularly, right? And Attorney Ben Crump, both of them said, now we know that it's possible. Don't tell me about we need to see this or we need to see that. We know what's possible when it comes to justice uh, for, for victims like Tyree Nichols. And George, the thing is that it, it, it has always been possible. And in, 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 in fact, you know, it, is, it has always been, it has always been required. The fact of the matter is it has not occurred. And just to go back to something that we were talking about earlier, um, you know, when we tend to see it, it will also be because those accused or defendants will likely be people of color. So these the, the, these these officers, you know, and, and and I take nothing away from the police chief um, in, in in Memphis. I've you know I've I've watched the interviews with her, and 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 I think she you know you know did act you know in a very um, you know swift manner, swift justice. Um, but I think it's important for us to understand that there is a larger lens through which we need to look at this. Come on. Uh, and that is, I want us to open up the aperture so that we see not only the you know the the the, the micro um, aspect of it, but also the macro aspect, um, so that it doesn't depend on whether or not you have a black woman who's a police chief or not. For all the change that she is bringing about to that department, you shouldn't have to be in her jurisdiction for you to get fairness when you come into contact with police officers. And I think we need to understand, just back to this point about 
um, you know, recruitment or who, you know, comes on, 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 on board. We really need to know um, who are the recruits and, 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 and what are their, you know, motivations. Um, and if they get on the force, what kind of continual training happens for them? Um, you know, it was so clear to me, um, even before watching the videos, just from as much as I could glean from what I was reading about the situation, um, the officers were, were, they were just angry. They, they were angry because their authority had been challenged. Um, when the first videos, you, you know, just snippets of the, of the video started to come out, um, and uh, it was, I guess, in the immediate aftermath of the of, of, of the stop, and you could hear the officers, they were breathing heavily, they were angry that they had to chase this man. They were pissed off about that. I mean, that was just so clear, this challenge to their authority and control and you know we 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 saw that too, right? We saw that in the Sandra Bland case. Mm -hmm. She asked that officer, "Why am I being stopped? Why am I being stopped?" He said, "I don't have to tell you." Well, first of all, that's just wrong. Yeah. Of course, he had to tell her, but that situation escalated because he didn't think he had to be responsive to her only that she had to be compliant and responsive to him. And so these things about, you know, these aspects of, you know, personality, um, where people want to exercise some sort of control over other people, whether it's in a law enforcement context that's legitimate or not, truly, truly has to be examined um, by the members of the force. It, it has to be checked. And, you know, <laughs> we talk about police and we talk about from, you know, top down, you know, and when you talk about the top down perspectives, the chief chief can't be everywhere and see everything. It has to be a bottom up approach. And, when, and that's why I highlighted uh, Sergeant Jones, his impact, because when you have line sergeants and you have solid police officers that are standing in the gap in the community, regardless of color, um, regardless of gender and they're doing the right thing, that's never going to happen. I also would contend that um, it usually takes some years to get on the task force. Mm -hmm. And that's what it was. That was a task force. Each one of these five had less than six years on the job. So far as experience and interaction. On that specialized unit you're talking about? Yes. When that's the, the, the five the individuals that were arrested, yeah. I think the guy had the most amount of time, had six years on Six years. So... You know, lack of experience, you know, you don't get into your stride in law enforcement, understanding where you're going to be, how you go perform. So you get like five plus years on, you know, in, in many cases, some people mature faster than that. But that's a sign that, you know, um, lack of wanting to be in it, you know, on those task force, but not enough time. It's it, just my humble opinion. I think most police officers will tell you, you know, there's some police officers that can function that way. I think also task force are, are very good in many cases than very bad because if you're in the task force with all individuals from your agency, you act one way, you're in the agency with other people, you know, they're alpha males, you know, and these alpha males, someone wants to show some degree of dominance and who's going to be the most dominant person mm -hmm. until you get that one. Like 
that this should have been the police officer showed up and they should have been like, yo, Elliot's here. There ain't no way in the heck he gonna let this happen. This shouldn't, he wouldn't have had to say anything. Right, right. This is over. And you need to breed that mindset and that's how that stops. How you, I wish you would if, you know, like a Chief Fowler or, right. or Elliot Boyce was on the scene. You said that, uh, and Professor Johnson get in here too, but you said that we, the police need to have conversations and until we're willing to have those conversations if the leadership you know so you have you know uh, chief davis out of memphis who said you know i was horrified by this or whatever she said related to this video but if the leadership isn't on involved who's going to have those conversations if the leadership is part of the status quo problem in law enforcement if right i'm saying if if they're not willing to force these conversations to happen because for, for some officers, they don't want to have them. Right. So if they're not, how do you suggest that these conversations happen? If you don't have a leadership that is committed, that wants to see the change feels put upon because obviously the, the George Floyd um, and, 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 and the reaction to police has created a real defense right yeah. within the ranks. So but how do those conversations happen in this environment, look, all all change starts with the community. Right? community. So we, so we can force the change. Okay, yeah, so it's yeah. on us. Okay, yeah, it, it's not on you. It's definitely on the hierarchy and the police agencies. Right. Well, police officers and police chiefs are basically put in place by a political elected officials, which okay. comes from the power of our our longstanding churches. But what I will say, a lot of the organizations that have had dramatic impact on law enforcement are fading away. There's no replenishing. We have the same individuals running the NAACP, running the urban leagues. There's no desire to bring on younger, more vocal, because we don't want the young vocal people in there. So we need to make sure our community bases are in place. So when we start raising up or they start putting forth a chief that we know is not going to be in the best interest of the community, the community can stop that. They could have an impact on it. But until that time, you know, you know, police officers and policing are victims of their own success. And what I mean by that, we have black officers, I will go to them, who no longer will join black organizations. Camp 415, right? Central New York Association Minority Police, 415 represented the Sheila Wally Howard. The organization phase because black officers, oh, I don't, I don't want to be part of the black organization. I've been part of every black organization in the country because it's my responsibility to give back to the community because the community is what got me here. Until we get young officers to understand that their ability to improve policing comes with a baseline of supporting the community, we may continue this trend, you know? And even when we have trends, when we have solid black solid police chiefs period regardless of color it's just you know something that's new to have black females running organizations or solid sisters who basically come in and say listen i'm not having that he's getting they're getting arrested immediately they still need the support of the community and i will say this too because i'm hearing her being ridiculed for her decision to arrest them swiftly because now on one side she's doing the right thing and then we have people from the community saying, well, if they were white, would she have done that? You know, if they were all females, would she have done that? Regardless of what your opinion, she did the right thing. That's the only thing should matter, but it's not. 
So she has to answer questions. Police chiefs around the country who will follow this blueprint will have to answer questions. Understand, we can't have it both ways. These individuals needed to be arrested swiftly before there's any public outrage, and it was done. So now the question will be, I don't see anyone tearing up the streets now. And, but, and it's, but it's very interesting. We have not heard from the union and which, you know, like what's their position on the, I, at least I haven't seen a position. And, well, and so I did see a statement from the union. I haven't seen very much. And it was, uh, it, it, it may have been an excerpt of something um, that I saw in, in, in one of the papers that I read. Um, but, but I will say that my impression of the statement was not a, um, you know, like a rousing um, defense of the officers. Um, it was, it was much, it was much more muted mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, saying that, um, you know, they hope for justice as well in mm -hmm. this case. So it's very interesting to me, whereas in other instances, usually the union, um, you know, statements uh, are unequivocal uh, in terms of their support um, for officers. So I found it, you know, quite, you know, quite interesting that it, it didn't come out that way that they were calling, um, you know, they expressed their condolences to the family uh, and also called for justice. So I think that that was a, an interesting posture that um, at least the statement that I saw uh, uh, made. Um, I think you do have to have it both ways. I commend um, the chief in uh, uh, in Memphis for her swift action. Um, but I think that we will know when things are different, when we see that these kinds of things happen, swift um, dismissals and swift um, justice, when in fact the racial backgrounds um, of the officers are, uh, you know, are, 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 are across the board, um, that they aren't people of color who are, you know, quickly coming before, um, you know, the criminal justice system, um, because we know that much of this brutality is not committed by officers of color. And so when other officers are not treated similarly you know, the swiftness doesn't happen, you know, that's what gives it the sort of, you know, skepticism about the system itself. And so I think it really does have to be both and and not either or. Um, and that is why I keep talking about the systemic nature of all of this. Yeah. It, and yes, and we also have to make sure we add the caveat, though they don't carry all the blame or the majority of it is, is media. The, the media hype in many cases, though justified in some cases, definitely fuel additional fire. Um, but also the culture of law enforcement creates an environment in which, you know, look, whoever is the dominant culture within that agency will dictate how things happen and how people respond. In many cases, nepotism, which is something, you know, is, is starting to happen in the sense of, you know, we have generations of you know, black officers having their kids become part of the police agencies. But in many cases, look, somewhere, somehow, someone may be related. Is that always the case? No. But are they in the, you know, the same bowling league? Are they in the same poker team? So it's harder to condemn your friend 
or it's easier to support them from a stance of maybe being a union member or being a, a high ranking official in the agency. At the end of the day, bad police officers, regardless of your relationship or connection to them, need to be gone. They make it harder for all officers. And unfortunately, for this, in these many cases, they make it hard for good white officers. And I know everyone cringes when you say white, but white males dominate the, the, the system. Uh, white males, in many cases, are the individuals that are in hierarchy, high positions. Um, unfortunately, some are connected to the community, some are not. But there has to be, you know, my, my thought was in order to get promoted in any agency, you should be able to have a strong connection with all the, the, the diverse organizations within your community. And people say, what does that do? You get a better understanding if you're a member of the NAACP and you're going to the meetings and you're having balanced discussion. If you're a member of the Urban League and you're going in and you're not from that community, but you engage and have a, a, a relationship right. with organizations, you know, that makes it better. It will make you, as a commission officer, because see, if you don't break the cycle of being connected to the community, it starts with becoming a patrol officer, becomes a sergeant. And if that sergeant becomes connected to the community, he has a better understanding when he moves up to become a lieutenant and he becomes a captain. And if he stays connected, if you're driving into the, to the area, this urban environment, and you come from a suburb and you bring your suburb ways into that community, you'll never spend time understanding what it's like to be part of that community. And that becomes a disconnect. Then you become the sergeant, the lieutenant, the captain to move on up with no connection to the community. So you'll never understand when someone walks in and says, well, this happened to you. You analyze it from the suburbs instead of analyzing it from the community. That's how you create change. So make sure they're invested in the community. I think we, we, we move that snail a little faster as far as change or at least the manner in which we treat or our community is being treated. And the thing we can't get disconnected on, you know, this a lot of people seem to think it's only black people in the hood. You know, there's some, you know, Caucasian folks there too. And, you know, so they deal with the same issues, though I, I get it. You know, African-Americans are the ones in many cases that get the brunt of this type of behavior or at least get the spotlight for it. Yeah. You have white officer be the black male is going to sell newspapers for weeks, you know, and that's something that we also have to be able to control the narrative of, of stuff like that. But for the most part, we need to make sure police officers, particularly supervisors, are connected to the community as a mandate. And if we can mandate that, at least they'll have a better, they can't basically say, I didn't know. You know, because you have still have white officers referring to black males as boy. And I'm like, yo, bro, that, that's not cool. And some of them you say it to them, they go, I, I didn't know. You know, so you educate them on it. But if they're part of the community, it changes. Final thoughts, uh, Professor Johnson, which you, I, I know we had a time commitment, but we, we in the conversation in real time, this is live <laughs> Sunday. January the 29th. Yeah. So let's go. Yeah. So um, I do think that this is a structural issue. I think we have to deal with it as such. I think we have to deal with it on every single level. 
but we can't ignore the fact that there are entrenched biases within the system, and that includes racial hierarchy. And I think until we begin to dismantle that kind of thinking and those um, hierarchical uh, ways of looking at race and, and uh, 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 people of color within the system, um, that we will continue to see more of this particular type of, of, of violence. I also think that it is critical that the um, entire society see this as something that is important to all of us, um, where it's, you know, where, where, where it's seen that black and brown people's lives are expendable, not just because they are killed by law enforcement members, but because of the mass incarceration of black and brown mm -hmm. people, where that is seen as something that is acceptable within the society, that we don't look for alternatives um, uh, within all of our societal uh, institutions and structures, then these kinds of things are going to persist. Um, and so we all, we all have the right, and I would say the obligation to petition our government. And that is to say, to make these sentiments known to elected officials that we want changes made on every single level within these law enforcement institutions and indeed across the criminal justice system um, uh, in its entirety. And then we may begin to see some differences because everyone will be invested in the fairness and equality and equity that is supposed to be the hallmark of the United States system of justice. Our demands must be clear. Our Demands must be known and our demands must be persistent if we want change to occur. That the voice of uh, Professor Paula Johnson, you just heard a professor of law at Syracuse University and many other things, co-director of the Cold Case Justice Initiative and the co-founder of the Cold Case Justice Center and also a, a fellow, wait, I got it right here. Let me just give this proper honorific and newly appointed to the Franklin H. Williams Judicial Commission of New York State. Um, so George, not so new anymore. I've been but, there. I guess so I'll have to. I'll have to update that. Update that. But it's been I've a minute. Okay. Been serving for a while now. Not so. Not 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 so new. And um and I direct the um the 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 cold case justice initiative. So director of cold case justice initiative. Um, being here with both of you, I appreciate this discussion. Um, and I hope that we have more of it. I look forward to, you know, more interactions and, and, and discussion with the, um, you know, with the audience as well. We appreciate yeah. you, uh, Professor Johnson, director of the Cold Case Justice Initiative. Thank you for correcting. And Elliot Boyce, of course, is retired state trooper from the New York State Police. Elliot, thank you. Thank you, George. As always, it's been a pleasure. I concur with uh, director. There's got to be change in the, in the institution. Um, and we have to be careful on bad policies that basically uh, created gateways to putting African-Americans back in jail. And I know, George, you know my passion. This is menthol ban that's looming over us in New York and New York State. We're legalizing marijuana with flavors of Kool-Aid and all these things for our young adults that are pretty much smoking marijuana at a disproportionate number. But meanwhile, now the governor's putting out a proposal that she's going to ban menthol cigarettes and vape under the, the, the guideline that it's going to be in the best interest of the African-American community. 
it's just going to be one more tool. When you ban menthols, you ban anything, it makes it illegal. And when it becomes illegal, it basically becomes a gateway for interaction with law enforcement. You take marijuana out and you put ban on menthol cigarettes in. Um, we are down on a slippery slope. It's just going to be a means for people trafficking and smuggling. And, you know, look, Eric Garner lost his life over, you know, allegedly selling Lucy cigarettes and he was choked out. We need to we need to be conscious on what we're pushing through. But far as change in law enforcement agencies, we need it institutionally, but we darn sure don't need to be giving them any other reasons for unnecessary interactions. The number of African-Americans that are dying at the hands of police officers are not due to violent crimes is a result of nonviolent crimes like vehicle and traffic stops. We need to get that underhand, under wraps, and we can't give anyone any law enforcement officers, you know, the bad ones, any other reasons to encounter uh, young young Americans. So thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I look forward to possibly what they have in one of these live, because I really would this like This is to live, brother. I, I, when I say live, I'm talking about in person. In person, okay. <laughs> where, where, where you could just hear, you know, All right. their, their sentiments and well, see it, because I think that will go a long way also. We'll, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. Uh, Elliot Boyson, Professor Paula Johnson, director of the Cold Case Justice <laughs> Initiative you. and the professor of law at Syracuse University. Thank you both. Yes, thank you, thank you so much.